What a great morning, amen? Some really neat things and great focus on the Lord's Supper and remembering that. And worship team, thank you for taking us to the throne each and every week. So this is our last official week of our annual regroup ever, where we make it our business to encourage you to make it your business to be sure you are in a small group. That is something that we prioritize around here. For well over a decade, our leadership has said that if you're not in with a small group of people who intentionally meet in order to share life together, to, to be known and to know others and to become like Christ together, then you're not getting the full shepherding prowess or power that you're supposed to be getting from this church family. So we really want you to be in a small group. And we can, we can connect you to a small group anytime during the year, just so you know, whether it's a family group, a men's group, a women's group, a study group, a fellowship group, a support group, whatever it is you're looking for. But we really are particularly focused on it during regroup. And so don't miss this opportunity. If you are not connected to a few people who you meet regularly with for the purpose of becoming more like Christ, then head right out to our foyer to Small Group Central, Central and visit with Ryan or his team, and we will help you do so. And remember, I've, I've been pumping this last week, and I want to do it again this week. Next week, September 19th, this whole month, remember, is recovery month in our country. Uh, where we honor those folks that struggle with addiction to alcohol and drugs. We're all in recovery because we're all sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But we have a particular calling in this church to minister to those who are struggling with those substance abuse addictions. And also to the families of those who have family members. Okay, and that's a large percentage of our population. And also to those who professionally serve in the recovery community in a professional capacity. So you likely know someone in that arena. And next week would be an idea. Again, you can invite them anytime, but we're always wanting to minister to the recovery community and be a church that is welcoming to those folks. And, uh, because they are we, right? And so, uh, but if you have someone in your life in particular, next week would be a great time. I'm excited about Doyle and our recovery minister, Jeremy Hunter, um, just reminding us, because we've had a lot of new people come since we've talked about it last year, but reminding us of the story of how God's called us to do that and to be that, and also just uh, thank God for the recovery that he offers to us. So next week, that'll be awesome. And then the next three weeks, I also pub, and I want to do it again, uh, the end of September and on into October, a three-week series on a subject that is surprisingly common, even among Christians, but maybe tragically under-addressed, and that's the subject of doubt. That's the subject of doubt. And so I'm very excited about that. Kyle Wade, I said last week that he's been preparing for months now. I think we first started talking about and dreaming about bringing this to the body maybe six months ago, but I, it's, more, it's more proper to say he has been prepared for this series because of his ministry and where God's taken him with people. And so I'm very excited about him leading us through three weeks on the subject of doubt because doubt is real and it's legitimate and we need space. If you don't struggle with doubt, Number one, you are more of a unicorn than you think, okay? Or you're lying to yourself, okay? We have doubts that, that happens, but I want you to, this is another opportunity to reach out to people that you know, that just, you know, 
Wonder if the church can be a place that's real and honest and address legitimate questions about God and faith and the Bible and all those things. We are that place. We have plenty of room here for doubt. You are welcome here, even when you're not sure of everything, okay? Uh, But we also would be neglecting something if we didn't walk into those questions and take a good faith effort at addressing them. We don't want to use doubt as like a smoke screen to defend our indecision or our lack of commitment, you know? And whenever I meet someone who I get to know and I feel like they're doing that, I always want to say, uh, and sometimes do, I have some doubt about your doubt, right? Yeah, I think you're using your doubt to uh, delay making some decisions or to be lazy. So we don't want to do that. So I'm very excited for Kyle to bring his gifts of honesty and courage and compassion to just create an atmosphere where we can um, just just explore that. And remember, I, I just am in love with this little piece of advice from Jude, who was a Christian who was, wrote a little letter. And at the end, when he's given some parting words, he says, listen, this is just so kind. Be merciful to those who doubt. Isn't that just so kind? That's what we want to do. And one of the ways to do that is to acknowledge its existence, its legitimacy, and also to take real shots at addressing it. Okay, so for this last week of regroup, and as we launch into our small groups, some of you have already done that, and some of you will. Let me begin with a question. How have you experienced God this week? the exact same question I started with last week and as you recall it never gets old at least I'm suggesting that when you are paying attention and looking for God every week so how have you experienced God this week you'll remember that I I have this dream I would love for you all semester long to ask this question in your small groups whatever else you do and there, there might be some other things to do, but I, I want you to ask this question. And I want you to know that when I did that, I had a seven-year period where I met with a small group and asked this one question. And before long, when we started, it was kind of hard, because like, I didn't spend my week looking for God or listening for God. So we didn't have a lot to say. But as we got in this habit, this routine of asking, we all grew to where we were paying attention. Just the asking of the question transformed us. And then when we started filling the whole hour with stories, like it wasn't enough time to talk about where we saw God or experienced God in the last week, that's all we had to do was just ask that question. And it transformed us. And I really believe when I look back in the seasons of my life, that seven-year period took ground in my heart that I couldn't give back if I, like if I intentionally tried Speaking of doubt, I said this last week, but I liked it so much, I'm going to say it again. It, it would be so great, wouldn't it, to have such solid and consistent experiences with God that when the enemy comes in and tries to suggest things to us like, I don't think God exists. Or, you know, God maybe exists and maybe he's even love, you know, but, and he loves a lot of people, but not you. Not after what you've done. These are all legitimate doubts. But wouldn't it be great to have such an experiential relationship with God that 
Those things get no traction. It would be like, I told you I've been married to Carrie for 25 years, and I've had lots of experiential relationship with Carrie. So for someone to come in and try to suggest that Carrie doesn't exist, or, you know, she loves a lot of people, but not you, not with what you've done. There's just too much experience there for the, I would be laughing at those things. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if somebody said to you, I don't know if God exists or I don't know if God loves you, that you have such experience with him. That is my hope. That is my hope for you. Our goal for this fall in your small group is for us to grow in our awareness of God's work in our life. So said another way, the goal is for you to have experiences with God that take ground in your spiritual life that are very difficult to lose. That's what I'm hoping for, for all of you and praying for you. And just one more personal word, as your minister, and I know I'm speaking for all of us who are your ministers and and our elders, I feel it's like it's my responsibility to help you position yourself to experience God. If he's experienceable, that would be the chief goal of my life, to put you in a position where you experience God and you have that kind of relationship so that the lies of the enemy, the temptations of the flesh, and I'm making up a word, the reasonableness of the world, right? Because the world has a reason to it. We've bought into some. Some might even be right, but some are not. And they are stand contrary to the reason of the kingdom. It stands contrary to it. And so in the face of all of that, if you had this relationship I would love for you to be able to withstand all of those things. I feel like it's my responsibility to invite you to do that. So I hope you will. So last week I gave you just a, I'm, that's the second time I'm giving you something from last week, but I want to I just remind you real quick the three pieces of advice that we took from three epic stories of Scripture. Do not hide from or ignore God. Do be attentive and curious. And three, God is not always found in the loudest, most obvious thing. It's this last one I want to zoom in on today because the first two are more about being responsive when God comes in, being attentive, right? Being attentive to when God's trying to initiate with you. The last one, however, has embedded in it this idea that we're supposed to be proactive in connecting with him as well. So I want us to be responsive when he reaches out to us, but we want to be proactive in reaching out to him. He sometimes, if not often, is not getting, trying to get your attention through these loud, massive circumstances. He can. But that last story of Elijah that I shared last week, we learn that he wants to speak through what scripture calls the still, small voice of God. And so we want to put ourselves in a position where we can hear him, where we're reaching out for him, where we're leaning forward. And that story in Elijah, Elijah was in this desperate situation where he really needed some serious God contact. He really needed it. And I just want to suggest that you are in serious need too. You're in a desperate situation where you need some God contact. Aware or unaware, I believe you are. I believe we all are. I think we're rigged to have this need for God. So just one verse that I'll pluck out of that story that I want to zoom in on. It's in 1 Kings 19 that says, The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And I just wanted you to focus on that 
invitation of God to Elijah and just ask you, do you do that? Is this something you do in your life? Do you take a time out and go out for the intentional purpose of standing in the presence of God? Have you ever ever done it? Do you ever do it? You would not probably be in the minority if you said no. No, I don't. That's not something I do. It's for sure not something I do habitually. So if you, if you say, if you're one of those Christians that say, I've never heard God's voice, I'd love to, but I just never have, then I want you to evaluate. If you never do what this verse is telling Elijah to do, ever, that might be connected to it. That if you don't take a time out from life and pursue God, seek God, Lean forward into God. Go take a time out from everything else that you do and all the distractions and put yourself in the presence of the Lord for him to speak. Then shouldn't you expect that you might have never heard his voice? So I flipped through my Bible and just found some, some verses because I, I see this theme all through scripture that highlight this desire of God to reach out. I mean, for you, for you to reach out to him. This, let me just read them to you. Deuteronomy 4. So this is God talking to Israel. Israel has been newly rescued from slavery. And this is one of the things he says. But if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and all your soul. It's a pretty incredible promise. If you seek God, you'll find him. That is incredible. But there is a little condition there. He wants your whole heart. He wants all of your soul. Not just a little bit. You, don't, you can't really experience God unless you give him your whole heart and soul anyway. So that makes some sense. If you flip the page in your Bible to 1 Chronicles in the time of the kings, this is King David. He's commissioning some of the spiritual caregivers from the tribe of Levi as they initiate into ministry to Israel. And he gives, this is part of what he says. He says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. How often? Always. It doesn't mean you won't be doing other things, but I do believe this is consistent with that teaching that we need to have that radar on. We need to be interruptible when he initiates. But it's saying seek his face always. Be intentional about it. Just in the companion book to that Second Chronicles, this is a prophet of God going to one of the kings of Judah, King Asa, with this instruction and promise. Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when? When you're with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. This is all through scripture. Now, this does not mean he's not with you when you're not seeking him. I don't believe that's what it's teaching. There's too many other verses that say other things. To the contrary, this, these are not in conflict. He is with you when you're not paying attention to him. You just can't experience him. He might have spoken to you this last week through a bullhorn, but if you didn't have the radar on, if you're not seeking him, you might not have acknowledged that's what it was. He might have spoken to you, guided you, told you exactly what to do through some experience, some circumstance, but you didn't notice it as that. He might have blessed you in some way from heaven in a personal way, but you just said, man, what good luck 
And you focused on how happy you were that it happened and not the God who delivered it. This is not saying that God's not active when you're not paying attention. I believe it's reflecting that you don't get to experience it and enjoy it when you're not paying attention, when you're not seeking. And then, of course, I've got to jump to Jesus. And he is famous, and you probably recognize this when I read the Deuteronomy one, that Jesus said something that's very popular and epic. He said, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I know it doesn't specifically say seek God, but where is his kingdom and his righteousness found? It's found in God. And Jesus is just adding to the chorus of voices all through scripture. Pursue him, seek him, intentionally go to him if you want to connect with him in an experiential way. And a verse that from the first church that gets, has gotten a lot of press in this pulpit, at least, from different, different lots of us, because it's just such a statement about the uh, scriptural worldview. It's in Acts 17. It says, from one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. They, he, this is, this is, this is unbelievable. He's saying everyone has been born when they were born and live where they live by his hand. It's not an accident. Really? Why? God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And find him, though he's not far from each of us because in him we live and move and have our being. See, I, I'm just scratching the surface of how this is embedded in the story that we live under the shelter of, the story of Scripture. So the big question for today, maybe you're convinced. I hope you are convinced. I should be. I should be going out before God and presenting myself to him. The big question today, using that phraseology a bit romantically from Elijah, how do you go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of God? How do you do that? I mean, do you have to have a literal mountain? You know, no, of course not. So the way Christians intentionally put themselves in front of God for the purpose of hearing him and experiencing him are called the spiritual disciplines. They're called the spiritual disciplines. So the way that Christians do this is through the spiritual disciplines. Now, the spiritual disciplines are practices that intend connection to God and thus result in spiritual experience with God and then your own depth and growth into Christ-likeness. That's what these are for. And I've got a little list up there uh, that's in an exhaustive list, but just so that you have an idea. There's this professor of biblical spirituality. His name is Don Whitney. He wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines in the Christian Life. And I want you to listen to his definition of spiritual disciplines. He says, they are habits of devotion... Habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. I, what I, there's lots of books that I've read on spiritual disciplines. And what I like about this guy's definition is he interrupted himself. He could have just said they're habits of devotion that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. And that would be accurate. But he like had to pause, do a little comma, and call them something else to clear things up based on his belief. He had to put a comma there and say, they are habits of experiential Christianity. I love that he did that. That in his study, in his research, he determined these are for you to experience God. 
That's what they're for. So he, and again, this isn't an exhaustive list, but I want you to have an idea. And your small group leader, if they went to Ryan's training, one of his two trainings for them in August, they got a list of some spiritual disciplines and an exhortation to make this a part of your small group experience this semester too, okay? So um, you don't have to remember all these. So he describes this this guy, uh, he describes three aspects of the spiritual disciplines that I wanted to relay to you as you enter into the semester and consider taking us up on this challenge and this blessing that I thought were important about the spiritual disciplines. So one thing he says is they are activities. Uh, that should go without saying, but they're not attitudes. They're not postures that you carry around. They're not personality types. The spiritual disciplines aren't for some personality types, but not for others. They're not character qualities. They're not graces. That is, they're just gifts given to you by God. They're not that. They are, they are also, they're not the fruit of the Spirit. Joy isn't a spiritual discipline per se. It's a fruit of of a relationship with God, they're things you do. They're activities. Even stillness, where you think, you probably initially think stillness is just doing nothing. No, it's not. It's doing something. It's doing stillness. You can have your body not moving and you're not doing the activity, the spiritual discipline of stillness. You can't just be lying on your bed watching Netflix and you're still and that's a spiritual discipline. It's not, you're not doing the spiritual discipline. So they are activities, they're things you do. And therefore, the second thing that I want to say, they're not for advanced Christians. Anyone at any level of spirituality can engage in the spiritual disciplines and should. So, in other words, there's not like the, the gospel of Jesus and then the really deep things of Christianity, the spiritual disciplines. It's for those that really want to get into it, right? It's, it's not that. And they are not that. It's not like the gospel of Jesus is the ABCs of Christianity and you accept that. And, and then the steady, disciplined relationship and attentiveness and experiences of God are for super Christians. You know, missionaries do that and preachers do that. And book authors and elders. That's not what it is. They are activities that anyone can and should do. At any level of spirituality, you can do them and you're supposed to. And that means at any level of spirituality... Anyone can experience God. He's not waiting for you to grow up into a certain level of spiritual maturity before he speaks. He's not doing that. And then the last thing I'll say about spiritual disciplines this morning from this professor is they are a means and not an end. And this is important because no one gets to boast because they're committed to some spiritual discipline. No one gets to boast because they're committed to an annual sabbatical or a monthly retreat or a weekly fast or even a daily quiet time full of prayer and Bible study. No one gets to boast in those things. They're just things. They're not the goal. And in fact, anyone who actually does practice them knows that, that the treasure of those practices are not the practices. It's the, in fact, why do so few people do that list of spiritual disciplines because they don't look particularly exciting, right? Like in and of themselves, they don't like, they're not attractive necessarily. And people, so people don't want to start them because they are not the ends. You don't 
have a prayer time in order to, uh, to, to, to be, that's not the end. That's not the thing that is, makes you mature. It's the experience that you have with God that, that hooks you. It's the experience you have with God that makes these disciplines stick. And so the treasure of doing these spiritual disciplines are not the disciplines themselves. They come from the payoff in hearing from and experiencing God. And again, I'll just say that's what I'm praying happens to you this semester. So I got one more thing to say, but it won't take long. So I'm going to ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and stand up and just move around the room and the balcony down here. Maybe you have a question. Maybe you have a, something going on that we're not addressing here today that you just need, need a personal touch. That's what these guys and gals do this for. So please take advantage of that if you need it. So this semester, this semester in your small group, and maybe for the next seven years, okay, maybe you never stop this again. We want you to ask in your small group every week this question, how have you experienced God this week until it takes? Until everyone starts having answers. And that might take a bit. So be patient. Be comfortable with the awkwardness at first. I promise you, God wants you to experience him more than you want to experience him. He will show up. If you, I'm taking that from scripture. If you seek him, you will find him. He is with those who are intentionally with him. And so I promise if you do the two things we talked about, be open and responsive, like we talked about last week, to God when he shows up, be curious, explore it, and then be intentional and proactive in reaching out to him. You do those and you will elevate in your belief in, in your awareness of, and your experience of God. So let me just end with, with this text. Again, it's from Jesus. And again, it's a worldview. It's kind of a, you carry this around and, and it's our theology, but it's our, it's our worldview. Jesus is exposing something really precious here to his, his audience. It's in John five seventeen. It's one of his epic statements that is underlined in my Bible that changed my life. My father is always at his work to this very day. Do you believe it? Do you believe, do you believe he's, he's at work to this very day? Evidently, there were some people in his audience that thought, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what they thought. But maybe they thought, you know, he's already given us the, the Bible. That would have been their Old Testament. He's revealed himself. He's worked through history. And now it's just our terms to, to listen to that story and believe it. You know, just believe it and then obey him. I know Christians have done that. They look back, he's, he's revealed himself. He, he was active back then and we're just, blood. they didn't have the Bible, so the New Testament, so we do. So we don't need him to be active anymore. It's like Jesus was addressing that to that audience and maybe the Holy Spirit preserved it in scripture for now, for those of us now. My father's always at his work to this very day. So I want your goal this semester in your small group to be not just to know and amen this statement of Jesus, but to notice its truth around you, to move towards him in belief and have these transforming experiences with God. The ones that come, that can't come in any other way except being in his presence in his presence. Don't you want that? I want that. In the big picture, he's not asking for a lot to give that to you. And he promises he will.
It will transform us. And so if you do it and I do it, then we are doing it. Then we as a church are becoming what we're supposed to be. A church that loves first and becomes more like Jesus and advances his mission. Which is to love first and become more like Jesus. So let's stand and let's just sing the truth of our desire for this to one another. And please come if we can help you.